because it looks like a logger. Here Is it a logger? So yes, that is a logger. You just asked. That's right, because I'm I'm getting better at identifying these. Being beer nerd adjacent. This one doesn't. Um, so this is a Hellas logger. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure I'm canning these right. How so? It's very much a beer flavored beer, though, huh? Yeah, I like it. Well. It's losing carbonation, so I don't know if I'm... I just need to up the carbonation, or if I'm my canning is living too much headspace. That's kind of... I don't know. What do you think? That's good. If it's losing carbonation, you can... you can Because uh, oh, you don't have a name for this. So you need to get creative with the names. Yeah, I had a... I, I did a Hellas about a year ago. You had some it has some carb lager. It's not low carb. No, it's low carbonation. Oh, I get it. <laughs> not necessarily a good thing. It well, depends who's drinking it. Um, I don't know. Me? Bunch of party kids in the back of a truck. They're not going to care how much carbonation it has. <clears throat> it's definitely lacking carbonation. And the other thing that's disappointing about this one is the, um, this, the head kind of goes away fast. That could be related to carbonation, though. Yeah, I'm sure. I didn't even notice that, but yeah, you're right. The um, the next beer I have for you is a German Pilsner that I made, and it's it seems to have much better head retention. Hmm. Anyway, I was going to tell you, I did my uh, first Peloton workout today. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the wife got... Was it a live or recorded session? No, I did recorded because I don't <clears throat> have... I can't... I'd, I'm not going to schedule to show up at a certain time when I have workout equipment in my house. That's like the whole point of that is to not have to show up somewhere on time. But, but that I, could be I, motivating I, factors, having to, having to be somewhere at a time. Yeah, and I, I get why people do that. Um, and in the future, I mean, if there's one that happens to be starting, maybe I'll join it. I, I think you can join one's already in progress, too, if it's, you know, it's just started recently. But I just did, I did one of the, like, getting started ones. It was 20 minutes. Yeah, how'd it go? Uh, it went pretty well. I mean, the... My biggest problem, it was just that I didn't sleep well last night. And so it was, well, everything today has been painful. <laughs> but that was particularly painful. Now that, well, you did it today or yesterday? Today, this morning. Today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's always the day after that you, the soreness kicks in. Uh, I'll, I'll probably be sore. It, not because I haven't been working out, which I, I haven't been working out as much as I should, but I've been getting a couple in a week. That's good. Um, but it's it's that, you know, it's just, it's a different motion mm-hmm. and using different muscles in a yeah. different way than and I'm not those muscles to. you're going to feel. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I only, only did 20 minutes and was just getting started. But I did, I, it was um, two, about 200 calories for 20 minutes. So that, that's a pretty decent yeah. rate. I think my average heart rate ended up being 130, 140. Yeah. I, I didn't look, but just I'm guessing based on what I was, when I was looking at my heart rate. But no, we got that, you know, we got that thing for, just for Christmas. And I, I didn't have any plans of using it, but I've just, my knee problem is getting worse and worse to the point I, 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 I can, like, okay, I need to find something I can actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, I do need to go to the doctor. I need to get that checked out. But um, I just, I just think I've, this has been a long, lifelong thing almost, and I don't, I don't have any high hopes that it's going to get fixed. I'm just going to, you know, learn to live with it. Yeah. And the workouts I've been doing have just been, you know, I'll do a workout, and then it takes me two or three days before I can even have any confidence to like even bend over. It's just, it's crazy. Just from your knee or from yeah. soreness? Knee, knee, yeah. So I have, I have that knee issue, and when I was working out. Um, we did a lot of focusing on balancing 
exercises and routines and those kind of things. Lightweight, but a lot of kind of balancing. And that strength that strengthened my knee a lot, so I would I would go that route. But I I, I do cycling for the same reason because I can't do high impact on my knee because it's mm. just it makes it worse. Yeah. So the problem with cycling is that your body is really good at getting efficient. <laughs> That's the t- and so you yeah. constantly have to challenge it and push it either push it harder with resistance or push it harder with um, intensity. Yeah, that, that's the trouble with something like an exercise like that. It's it's you know I, whereas with the hit workouts I do, I mean each one is and, and there's new workouts all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, but in e- each one you're doing they're doing di- they're throwing different exercises at you, which is pretty great because yeah. yeah, your body just really can learn to adapt to what you're doing. Yeah. Which is a good thing. I mean, yeah, I from mean, from a biology standpoint uh, and a survival of the fittest standpoint. Sure. Um, but uh, I, I liked it. I mean, I don't have any knee problems. My other than just being tired, my problem was that my man, it really hurts my butt to sit on that seat. Oh God, yes. So I, I ordered a. The, the, do you know the 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 big secret that all get, cyclists have? Wait, hang on. Do you guys have a Peloton? No. Okay, you have a. Uh, the stationary bike at your house, though? No, but I have a bike that I ride. Oh, a bike? Yeah. Okay, one that actually goes places. One that goes places, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the big secret that probably no one tells you is all of these biker shorts and everything, they have pads in them. Right. And do. you need them. <laughs> okay. Well, I bought it. Because extended a, riding hurts. That's, I don't have to, like, put on special shorts or change my... I don't, I don't, is it the underwear or shorts or whatever? I guess you don't wear underwear, at least... Serious bike. Yeah, most of them, that's kind of all built in. Yeah. But yeah, I have like these. Um, they're they're not those tight shorts. I don't like wearing those. But I have some that look kind of like a hiking shorts or something. They're kind of baggier and everything, but they have the padding built into them. Yeah, I, I bought a seat cover. That's yeah, you could do that yeah, too. So I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, my butt is my my literally my my butt bone. I don't even know what that bone's called, but it, it hurts right now. Coccyx. I think it is actually. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Weird name for that part of my body, but yeah. Well, and and for guys, I'm not sure how it is for girls, but it, it does affect other areas. Extended riding, so you'll get a lot of numbness and everything down there. So I've, I've been told you got to be careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't want any permanent numbness. No, no, no. Well, John, what's on our docket for today? Oh, uh, we have some follow up stuff, and we have a couple of topics from the community. Um, there's not much in the way of news except for the big Jeff. Bezos thing. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, I have a couple of news things, so let's do the follow up and all that stuff first. No, let's do the follow up second because I think those are worthy of discussion. Let's do the news first, and then we'll get into those. Okay, that's interesting. I always thought follow up was done like at the beginning of the episode that you're following. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. We'll do the follow up, and then we'll do the community stuff later. That that works. Yep. Um. Yeah. So this follow up was about our our uh, discussion last week on flows. So we kind of talked a little bit about. I don't know the flow designer and its usage and how, how, how much parity there is between flow and kind of programming. Um, I'll just read what someone posted in Slack. This is from Matthew Morris, a friend of the show. Oh yeah. He had a nice, some nice thoughts on that. Yeah. I don't know if I should read it all. It's kind of long, but we'll, we'll go and you can, you can stop me if you want to interject. He says, uh, he says, yeah, the Happy Path Programming podcast episode is a must-listen, which I have been listening to that. It's pretty good. There are a few things that I don't agree with them on or things that they say that I'm a little iffy on, but... That's fine. It's, uh, You're not supposed to agree with them yeah, on no, everything. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good, though. I like it because... Do you remember what you don't agree with them on? Because that's probably the interesting white space there. Yeah, so this last episode, they talked a lot about kind of scaling and lack of control were kind of two separate topics, but they were kind of intermingled between the two. They kind of jumped back and forth on that kind of thing. Scaling um, and lack of control. Yeah, just the, 
the kind of pre-optimization of scaling. And it was it was good because they oh, both had different. That was a recent though. episode. That yeah. was actually I, I I think I agreed with them on that. People really just over optimize for scale. It's not the whole thing of like, oh, let's um, you know, let's do microservices and Kubernetes. It's like, well, yeah. you probably don't need those things. Right. <laughs> but I mean, there there is a certain sense of pre-optimization. I mean, you kind of know where you need something to go, and it's kind of it kind of sucks to come out with an app and not be able to scale it to a certain extent. So I think there's a little bit of both. You know, you don't want to over-optimize, but you don't want to under-optimize, I guess. You yeah, can't just put an app out there that's right. only designed to run for like well, 10 users and then go, oh, crap, now we got to scale it and re-architect everything. And, and I feel like that's, I feel like that is a straw man. Like no one, no one's saying go do super dumb stuff. We're just saying don't do the extreme stuff because you read about it on Hacker News. Uh, no, I... I like you're still supposed to know the difference between an array list and a link list and you're supposed to still supposed to not do dml and loops and i mean these are do, do the basic things that you're supposed to do as a as a professional person um but maybe not the tools and techniques that are really for scale that are just orders of magnitude beyond the problems that you have sure yeah i think i mean that's how i take their argument yeah, I think so. But I, I could have swore one of them was arguing that that you should use these frameworks and you should build it on these tools and you should you sh it's already there, so you shouldn't have to worry about it. So just use it. And I kind of feel like putting a dependency on that type of ability to scale because, like the app that I was working on before I started working with you, it was built to scale. It was horrible at it, and it was hard coded into the code to scale. But it, uh, it was a disaster. But it was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you didn't know what you needed to scale at that point in time, so you had no context. And it, and it, on top of it, it wasn't done in the right way, so it was basically in the code you had to manipulate it to scale it. Yeah, which seems to me to be a, a, a barrier to scaling. Yeah. I'll just uh, edit the code and recompile, every, rebuild the whole thing and deploy it. Then yeah. you can see, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> oh, you need to go up, you need to add one dyno? Yeah, just uh, edit this constant. Uh, recompile all the things in the modules and deploy them all, and then uh, you put it through. You know, it's like, no, I just need to like add a dyno. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, also, in that episode, they did kind of talk a lot about kind of um, frameworks and and things like that. They also talked about some of the um, they got into management techniques or things like you know XP and Agile and things and, and those and those type of management techniques. What the problems they were trying to solve and how. And that led into the lack of control kind of conversation, where all of these things were kind of designed as a way to try to control the chaos of something, either improve communications, the chaos of the communication, or improve it. But yet none of these ever deal with the fact that you can't control everything. And no matter how strict you put your process in, it's going to break. And they gave a good example of a workshop where... Uh, they took all these people who knew how to program. They had all of the checkboxes from what they learned in school and everything on how to build something. And they had these um, moderate coaches. Coaches come in and throw monkey wrenches into everything they did, trying to get it to break until it finally got to the point where they could not solve the problem. Um, and it wasn't like unreasonable things. It was things that you would normally experience in, in working real life. And it was just the fact that even though they were taught these certain things to do to avoid certain things, there are still things that could be thrown into it that would break it. And yeah. how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. And how do you move yeah. on from that? And how do you get creative to solve that problem? Or what give and take? What, you know, what do you sacrifice in order to get something else? It, rem <clears throat> it reminds me of, it goes back to like, you know, process control, statistical process control. 
And I mean, it depends on what you, I guess what you're optimizing for, mm-hmm. but for, for creative, well, so, so software development is, it's, I mean, these metaphors all tend to break down, but you know, people like, you know, like what's the, um, like lean's got really popular mm-hmm. in software development because, you know, the Toyota production system uses lean on its car manufacturing. Well, that's that's true, and and I think lean makes a lot of sense, and I try to always incorporate lean concepts into, uh, you know, projects that I that I work on. But software development is more like the design of a car than the manufacture of a car, which still could benefit from. That doesn't invalidate anything. I mean, it's still, I still think you benefit from a lot of these concepts. You know, lean and single piece flow and cycle times and work. You know, work in process. All all these things. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, but when it comes to process control, you know, of a manufacturing line, you do want to like, you know, you're measuring everything and you're trying to keep everything just in such a narrow band, like with consistency. Mm-hmm. That's great for manufacturing, but that's really not good for a lot of creative processes and a lot of processes where they're, we, they're designed to have feedback and learning baked into a feedback loop it, back into the into you know, the process like you you're literally trying to change have the process self mutate so that you can end up in a better place yeah which is dangerous well it's dangerous for manufacturing but it's good it's that's what you want in in software development you it you, you know that you, there's things you know there's a lot that you don't know right now mm-hmm. and you need to incorporate the learning of those things into the project because you're not just building a product you're building knowledge about the thing that you're building you are and, but you can take that to to an extreme at, as you can with anything well that's not but you keep doing that and that's not the point i'm making i'm just saying that i guess okay i'll just try to make my final or put a bow on this point which is you don't want to control you don't want to process but you don't want to put the screws down on process control of software development, you want that variability. You want that variation. You want all those people with their great ideas that come out of left field that like end up making your thing better. Like you want all that stuff. You don't want to control that out. You want to just have an environment that it, it encourages this variability, the lack of control in yes. a way. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm with point. you on that okay. point. The only, the only caution I was trying to make was that like like the assembly line, there are certain things that do have to remain constant because that's that's your foundation. It's what you base everything else on. And if that foundation is broken, anything you build on top of it's going to break or it's just going to come crumbling down. So, I mean, there are instances when we talk about software development and we talk about client requirements where they want to automate things to the nth degree. And in doing so, they lose a sense of control. And then when they want that control back... They lose a sense of control? They lose actual control. And they lose actual control. Okay, right? okay. That's what... I- I agree. I mean, I see that. Yes, because they've taken away, they've taken the variability away. They've taken the ability for someone to make a new decision using that same tool. Because now that tool is is so purpose built for this one thing, um, because because it's so automated. Because there's so much built into it, quote unquote, knowledge of the day uh, yeah. that it that it couldn't be mutated. Yep, I gotcha. It, it's right. You think you're building it that because it's going to solve all the problems that you've run up to into today. But in doing so, you've you've removed the ability for someone to go in and make a new decision. And is it fair to say that you end up with a whatever this thing you built, it's brittle because yes. the slightest change in business need basically breaks its it breaks it. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 That's that's always the the balance between um, automating and flexibility. Right. 
And of course, the Holy Grail is like automated and make it flexible. <laughs> Which I, I think getting back to the discuss, discussion and popping the stack is that that's kind of what you think you're getting with Flow is the ability to kind of, you know, build your, 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 your business rules into the system. And because it's a point and click declarative WYSIWYG thing, um, you feel confident that you'll be able to go in and, and change it as much as you want. But you forget about all the other things that either have dependencies or you forget about um, at the time you're building it, you forget the reasons for why things happen the way they do. Yeah, yeah. Like limitations of the tool at the time or those kind of things. It's also, I think, I think wise to anytime, you know, you're considering automating things is um, maybe don't automate them for a while and wait to see what, you know, the actual, um, you know, data and usage looks like. And, and then once you know more about, you know, real world um, situations, then, yeah. then, then you can see where it will make sense to automate. Yeah. And I'm using the term automate really generically. I'm not talking about specifically anything like triggers or right. process or flow or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so Matt goes on to say, a discussion I'd like to have with you in the future, maybe we should have him on, is a declarative, what declarative actually is. He says, in my view, flow has the imperative characteristics such that would be found in Jackson structured programming of old sequence uh, selection iteration as opposed to example given so ANSI SQL. This is how I know Matt is old school. <laughs> I actually have never heard of Jackson structured programming. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if anything, I feel like everyone should just know what a Jackson diagram is. That's that's kind of a famous thing. Maybe I've seen one and just didn't know that's what it was called, or maybe I don't know my stuff at all. Yeah, it's a Jackson diagram. I mean, it's what this is a core thing that like this is the this is the, some of the important basics of it. it really, it, okay, this this pre predates, predates UML. Yeah, predates UML, UML and sequence. Yeah. Um. But no, it's, yeah. Okay. It's a good thing to know. But that, yeah, yeah, you'll hear us old farts using terms like Jackson diagrams. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm an old fart and I didn't know about it. So, so. I, I, I think Matt's called me out a little bit, which I actually, agree, I think I agree with him on. I think I got that a little bit wrong. And the more I think about it, I, I do think that, is it flow or what we're talking about? Yeah, it's flow. flow. Yeah, it, it is kind of imperative in a way. And then we got, and then I kind of went on to the idea that I actually, there's actually a, a spectrum between declarative and imperative. You know, imperative is, and just a, this is, this is a, a, a probably a reductive description, but it should suffice for conversation purposes. Uh, declarative is you telling the computer what needs to be done and the computer figures out how to go and do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, whereas imperative is you telling the computer how to do the things that need to be done. And I think Flow's got a little bit of both. I mean, there's, it, it is imperative in, in the terms of like, I mean, I'm guessing you can probably like declare, which is probably not the right word, but you know, a variable mm -hmm. and like, you know, tell it to explicitly loop over a variable and do these explicit things. Whereas, you know, declarative might be more, I don't know if there was just some, looping function built in like I even like a higher almost like a, a, a construct of some sort that you could just tell the computer hey just um i don't know I, you can you can accomplish both schemas so like if you had an, an invocable method so you have a list of records and the, your flow knows how to make a decision on that flow but then it passes it to an invocable that knows how to do something that yeah. would that would be an example of that yeah uh, but anyway yeah what what would be a Example of a Salesforce has a, like a declarative 
language? Workflow, probably. Yeah. I, mean, I guess workflow is... De- de- I mean, you just tell it what the criteria is and what to update, and it goes and does everything yeah. else. Yeah. You know, another example of, like, I guess, the, the spectrum is, is XML is a declarative language, but you can def- <laughs> you can actually write imperative things in it. In it. And yeah. so you're encasing imperativeness in declarativeness. Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> a little inception. We need some yep. inception music there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do I have any good sep- in a good inception sound, John? I don't think you do. Yeah. Oh well. I do have that CD. I'm a big Hans Zimmer fan, but the more I get into his stuff, the more it sounds sounds the same. But such is the world. All right. Uh, if Matt goes on to say, John, your advice to flow developers to read Apex developer documents is spot on. So I'll take that kudos. Apex developer. Doc- what is an Apex developer document? Oh, just the documentation the on documentation Apex. The documentation. Oh, yeah. And yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, essentially, you're, you're, you're going to run into the same problems that we're running into. You, you have inflow versus workflow and things like that. You do have to be conscious of your uh, governor limits and everything else. CPU time, a number of records you're looping through. And flow has the additional limitation of number of elements and things that you can have in your flow. Um, there's also just different mechanisms for uh, patterns, I'll say, for how you orchestrate things and flows and how you call them and what's allowed, um, what you can debug and what you can't debug. There's also no concept of unit testing, which I don't know. It seems like unit testing is coming out of favor these days. Uh, that was another topic that well, was Because it doesn't on... suit Salesforce's uh, current, you know... No, I don't mean from right Salesforce now. perspective. I mean in general. I mean... Oh, I've been leading that charge for years. I'm just saying. <laughs> Not... Not backing away from testing. It's unit testing in particular. I think we over-index on unit testing. I mean, there's, there's a certain sense of security and being able to regression, but it could be a false sense of security. So, I mean, it's... It, it's not that. It's not even that at all. It, it, I, well, that, that's a topic for a different day. <laughs> uh, okay. We can, we can... I know we, we've done that one before, and we probably should revisit it at some, some point. I'm but, sure we will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, Mac was on to say, the temptation that I've fallen for is to try four is to try flow okay so try flow first for data processing tasks which i don't know why you're doing that that's crazy man get it just just do an invocable yeah i think (laughs) because i I do more things now with the language has more capabilities yeah it sounds this is worded weird and i'm having a hard time read it but essentially he's really pushed flow to the limit by trying to get it to do some some basic data processing stuff um which includes trying to bulk within it to to interact with over 2,000 records or up to 2,000 records, which is the limit. So, well, so back to the documentation thing. You know, we have to remember that, that flow is, is an abstraction. And as with all abstractions, it's a leaky abstraction. Sure. Which is, I mean, it, it actually owns its leakiness um, with things like invocable methods, where you, you get to pop that emergency hatch back to, you know, Apex code in this case. And so it always helps. This is, this is why, like, you know, going back to I don't know VB programmers. Mm-hmm. Um, one of these days you're gonna you're you're gonna if you don't if you don't if all you understand is the abstraction level you're working at, uh, sooner or later stuff bad stuff's gonna happen or you're gonna encounter problems that if you don't understand the underlying abstractions you are going to be stuck. Yep. And even if you're not you know computer scientist, it still helps to understand. Well, there's a Windows API there, or there's I don't know. 
I, there's some networking stuff going on. Mm -hmm. There's fi a file system. You know, you need to understand these abstractions. You might not, you don't have to be an expert on them. I mean, don't necessarily, but it, it can just be honestly really valuable to have a little bit of knowledge about those things. Yeah. So I think VB is a good example because in VB and the Windows API, the data types were different. So your your size of a long was not the same as it was in VB. And if you were trying to interact with the uh, Windows API directly from VB, which is pretty dangerous at the time, um, you could you could run into a lot of issues because the data types wouldn't confirm convert properly. Yeah, which is weird that Microsoft couldn't get its own teams to agree on that. <laughs> Keep going out for you. Sorry, we're just switching out beers here. No, you, you have a microphone. Oh, I had the microphone. I'm, I'm supposed to keep yes, talking. That's what I just said. Uh, Matt goes on to say, my experience is that the Flow Engine has improved a lot and is pretty capable when used appropriately. It's an invaluable UI enhancement, as uh, Stefan says, from a previous show, referenced it a couple episodes back, and much preferable to Process Builder and Workflow for triggered automation. What I want to see improved as soon as possible is the Flow Editor tooling. It's very, very hard to refactor monster flows into a maintainable structure or reusable subflow. Um, yeah. So yeah, you thought Apex was hard to refactor, right? That's why. Yeah, it's tough. Well, that's that's why one, you know, I don't know, I, I, has it been, have, when's the last time I talked about Apache Camel? Has it been, uh, <laughs> actually, I think it's been You didn't several, say it last episode, so yeah, you're free. Um, yeah. is, that, is that the rule, every other show? Every I other show, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, it's got a, I mean, you can do um, exit, you can, speaking of declarative versus imperative, you can define your integrations in XML if you want to, which is whatever, if you hate yourself that much. Uh, there's even draggy droppy things that honestly are totally akin to flow. Mm -hmm. And they basically write that XML for you under the hood. And it's actually just the way MuleSoft's, you know, terrible Eclipse thing does. And it's terrible not because MuleSoft, just because Eclipse. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, you know, you can, you can drag and drop the things and it writes XML for you. Um, but as any MuleSoft developer knows, you are going to be living in that XML. So you better like it. You better hope that's a good language um, because you always have to, break, just like, you know, GUI builders or GUI GUI builders, yeah. right? <laughs> if that makes any sense. Builders of the GUI. I mean, they're, they're kind of good to get started. You know, you can start just, you know, drag the big elements on and do some positioning, but you, you always end up having to drop down into whatever the closer to the metal language is. Yeah, uh, to get things right and, and to get them to scale, and once things get more complicated, um, and and so back to Camel, you know, in addition to XML, you can define your integrations in a, a Java. Was there's a not just there's a Java DSL. They're also working on now a Kotlin DSL, um, and actually a lot more um, the languages to to define your integrations in. And the thing I love about that is is uh, you know, in addition to when you when you're creating these integrations, like you get IntelliSense because there's you know you're using a flu a nice fluent API, so you know your IDE is helping you you mm -hmm. know complete all these things and know what the parameters are, and it's really easy. But also when you go to refactor or just just the beauty of a textual language. I mean, I can do global replace stuff. I can grep stuff. I can easily see if something broke. I can like you know do a get the bisect or blame and all this stuff, and I can just it's just so beautiful. And 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 on anything non-trivial, like those are the tools you want to have. Yeah, but also because I'm working in you know Java's a static language, um, the refactoring is just it's just great. And on big integrations, I, mean, I can't imagine doing that with some big mess of XML garbage or with just these you know clunky slow GUI tools. It's not going to do it. Yeah, it's just not going to work. 
it's not that it, it's not that these things can't be done. It's just you know you want to do them in the, in a way that makes your your future self um, more productive, right? Um, because at some point it becomes if you didn't do things right, it's just that's kind of like technical debt. I mean that's that that's making everything down the road more expensive. It's, it's almost like um, inflation. Like everything's going to be more expensive for you, right? Yeah. If you keep borrowing. Yep. Oh, that was I like that analogy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think I mean I think there are some advantages in flow in that you can you can kind of visually see things. They're kind of laid out in a very linear fashion for the most part. Yeah. So there's not a lot of kind of jumping around or or inheritance or polymorphism or any of those concepts that tends to complicate things and make it difficult to maintain. Um or maybe not maintain, but run the risk of breaking something more easily just because you have these dependencies that you're unaware of. So in that fashion, it's a little bit easier, but I mean, it's, it's one of those tools that if you get, if you, if you push it to its limits, it's going to be very difficult to maintain. I mean, we, we saw that screenshot of, of that flow that said oh, person was extremely a, proud yeah. of. Oh, God. I've and, seen a lot of those. Man. And I'm just like, um, that was scary. <laughs> and even today, even on some simpler flows, I mean, we have members of our team who are like, I don't want to change that flow. It took forever to get it right, and they want this new requirement, and I don't want to touch it just yet. Um, so there's a bit of avoidance. There's a bit of a of a build it once type thing with flows because no one wants to change it for fear of breaking it. Yeah. Sorry, I was a little distracted. Yeah. All right. I mean, having said all that, I mean, I think Flow has gotten better. The GUI tool is getting better. Um, some of the nice things, like the tips section, like I mentioned before, are getting better. Uh, it's just, it's a tool. And despite what Salesforce says, it's not going to rule the world. It's not, you don't have to build everything in Flow. It's it's just a tool. Use yeah. it responsibly. Use it for the things that make sense. And where it, where it doesn't make sense, then move it to code or move it to somewhere else. And code isn't the answer either. Sometimes right. Flow is the answer. Um, sometimes process builder is the answer. Sometimes workflow, good old old workflow is the answer. Yeah. It's just these are tools. And despite the marketing hype that Salesforce wants to push on us that this is the next best thing and this is what you should be doing, uh, we have the ability to make our own decisions based yeah. on the requirements in front of us. Yeah. They're tools. They're a hammer, they're a nail, they're a screwdriver, and we just need to use them properly. Right. Okay. That was a good follow-up. It was. Appreciate that. Is there more follow-up? Uh, that was the last of the follow-up that I was going to do. So. so this, by the way, is a ger this is the, the German Pilsner. Have you tasted it? It's good, it? yeah. yeah. I like it. It's, it's got uh, a bit more bitterness than, than yep. lager, obviously. More, more. Well, they're both lagers, so Pilsners are lagers. Oh. Um, there's a, there's a Band-Aid note to yeah. it. So the, the previous one um, was a Hellas lager. So that's, um, mm. you know, Bavaria area. They have softer, a little bit softer water. Um, yeah, it's just it's kind of a more of a focus on the malt. Whereas mm -hmm. th this one is more of a, like a North German Pilsner and uh, more more minerals in the water. And of course, I take all that very seriously. I start with the distilled water and add all the brewing salts and everything from there. Are you able to replicate the water? Yes. At a, at, oh, from yeah. a mineral content? Yeah. 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 And of course, so I've you, heard of people like like importing water and things just to get the right mineral content. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's, it's kind of, that's kind of ridiculous because we, we know what the water is. Um, what well, the water profile is, and yeah. you can easily do that yourself. And there's really just a handful of chemicals. I mean, it, and it, you know, it, it's and they're all salts essentially. So it's you know everything from well, you're looking at sodium, magnesium, uh, calcium, uh, sulfate, a, 
uh, sulfate is very off. Some, well, yeah. some, uh, <laughs> a little bit of glyphosate, a gly- little bit of Roundup, with yeah. some Roundup runoff in your... <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's good. There, that's good for you. Uh, <laughs> but no, the, and, and also the North German Pilsner, they just have a little more bitterness and more and more hop aroma and flavor, too. You said Band-Aid on this one? Yeah. It's on, it's on, the, it's on, it's on the back. It's probably just the bitterness, yeah. <clears throat> I like that's just the hot bitterness. Yeah. Maybe it's like the strangeness from the hot, I don't know. Yeah. Not in a bad way. I'll take that as a compliment. I'll take no, all... No, it's good. All feedback is compliment. <laughs> uh, I took these beers, and the next one I have to um, a buddy of mine who's the brewer at Manhattan Project mm-hmm. on Sunday, and he gave me good good marks on all of them. Good. He had a couple of suggestions, but it's awesome. Yeah, that's good. I look, I look forward to your brewery opening someday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll well, shovel hops for you. How about that? As a part timer. Yeah, that works. We call it, or you can. Grain out was the term. Grain out. That's when you're done with the mash, and now you have hundreds of pounds of wet grain that you've got to get out of your. Mm. And if you don't have rakes, automated rakes, then it's kind of a pain. And you just get in there with a big shovel and you start graining out. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, something I've never done because I brew on a homebrew scale, five gallons at a time. And even that, I mean, they, you know, the grains before they get wet are like 16, 18, 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. But then once, when they're wet, you know, that easily goes to. Under 200 pounds, probably. Well, there you go. Just do a few squats. No, no. Nah, it's probably not 200 pounds. Probably, <laughs> in, in probably between. Yeah. I would say 50 to 100 pounds because there's, there are, there's a few gallons of water probably that re- it's retained in the, in the grains when you're done. Yeah. So. Uh, what do they call that when you take away weight in between, in between your sets? I don't know. Uh, it's, there's a name for it, but I was going to say you could, you could do that. Is that, was that when you're trying to just like get to failure every time? And yeah. And yeah, yeah. 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 So you start really heavy, do a few squats, yeah. take some out, do yeah. more until failure, do more until failure. There you go. I forget what the name of that is. You can brew and stay fit. All right. What's next, John? Uh, we can go on to community topics or we can talk about news. We say we're going to talk about news. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about this Bezos thing. Okay. Yeah. Bezos. So why can't I say that without sounding like I'm being. Like a Bezos. Because <laughs> doesn't everyone feel that way about Bezos? I don't know. <laughs> so he just, he announced, well, first of all, Amazon had a blowout like, quarter. That's the way to leave is on a blowout quarter. But you know, it was weird. Because like, if he did it other ways, like if it was down, everyone would be speculating. And right. There'd be all this conspiracies about how he screwed it up and they're pushing him out. And Yeah. So. No, you always have, always have to leave on an, on an up note. But at first, I was looking at their earnings yesterday and that, you know, they doubled... So they beat on revenue, but they they doubled their um, you know their earnings, and then I was looking at their after hour stock trading, and it was you know up half percent, one percent. I'm like, well, why is it not more than that? They literally doubled earnings. Hmm. And there's usually two answers to that. Either one, it was already baked in, like everyone expected that, even though there was the expectations, then there's the real expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, or when you look at the number, even though they doubled their earnings, which was I think instead of like, I don't know, $8 per share earn, um, earnings, they had like $16 per share. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's, that's, a, that's an additional $8 per share. Like, why is, why is their stock not blowing it out? Well, their stock trades at like some number of thousands of dollars. So proportion to the price of the stock, the earnings are still, <laughs> still small. Um, so it's like, if you know, if you, if you, if you doubled your, um, your wealth, well, if your wealth was only, you know, $10, then that's not that big of a deal. All right. Uh, but yeah, so he's he's announced he's retiring or whatever, I guess. And Andy Jassy, who's the longtime AWS CEO, is taking over the Amazon CEO role. 
And I haven't read any of the takes on that, so I'll, I'll get your take on it, John. I don't have much of a take. I mean, I, I tried to see if there was any kind of reasoning behind it, other than he's just retiring and moving on. I like the speculation that he wants to go sp- be more hands-on with his space company. But what is his like, space like company? All, uh, oh, yeah. blue or- all billionaires. Blue like all these billionaires now. They're, they're all trying to be the next uh, Iron Man. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know that Be- they, they've got like Iron Man posters in their bedroom and they just drool. <laughs> you know that's Bezos's fantasy. You know? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Iron Man and, and space, you know, I don't even know if I should say this. I might lose my MVP credits for leaking information, but uh, I heard a rumor that Benioff is also going to be leaving soon. But have we? That, isn't that always a rumor? Yeah. Well, more, more substantial. This one, this one might have some credibility. I mean, it's it's um. Well, if you know, if you it's say akin it. to his story, his founding of Salesforce. Okay. You know, you, on, when, when he when he came up with the idea for Salesforce, he was hanging out on a beach, you know, doing little doodles in the sand, you know, as you do, eating a mustard burger, eating a mustard burger, because uh, he couldn't get the frogwa, <laughs> and uh, frog, <laughs> came up with Salesforce. Frogwa. Right? Frog That's anything. Frog it's, it's it's frog liver. Frogwa. Frogwa. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't even know how to say it. It's You're like, such a pleb, John. I, I know. I know. <laughs> um, but anyways, I heard that, that he, was, he was back in Hawaii trying to come up with his next big, big thing. And uh, he was hanging out in Hawaii and looked up at the stars and said, you know what? We need to democratize space. That's what, that's what Benioff said? Yeah. Democratize. Well, yeah, democratize okay. space. We need to democratize so all the things. Gonna, he says he's going to create a new SaaS, space okay. as a service. And he says we need to be wary. Of the false moonshot. <laughs> yeah, you're so full of crap. You had me going there for a second, John. I was hoping I did. Beware of the false moonshot. Yeah. That's well, good. Benioff seems to follow their, their coattails and everything. One buys a news company, he buys a news company. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, they, they all have their space companies. I'm waiting for Benioff's space company. That's what I was wondering. But also, this, this whole rumor of Benioff retiring, I mean, this is one of the things, if we keep saying it, I mean, eventually, we're, eventually we'll be, we're going right. to we'll be, be right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's see. I have, um, can we talk about Apple for a second? Yeah. And their feud with the so Facebook? They, so they also had announced their earnings, and they, they just, of course, completely blew it out. It's just ridiculous. They, they finally hit a, a $100 billion in- $100 billion billions. No, $100 billion in, in revenue for one quarter. For one quarter. Jesus. Now, they got a billion iPhones currently, like, install base, so currently in use. A billion iPhones. They're not 12s. No one's buying 12s. That's actually not true. <laughs> Um, they have 600, lying. 600 million active subscriptions. They're lying. What do you think of that? So they pulled it from Gap. They, mm-hmm. pulled, the, they pulled the iPhone 12s from Gap. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... I don't know. Okay. I was trying to make a Salesforce joke, but... Oh. They pulled it from their unbuilt deferred, deferred revenue. revenue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 600 million subscriptions. You didn't react to that. What, how do you... What subscriptions do you of what, though? Um, just, yeah, just... I think, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I think various things, music, fitness, iCloud, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I I don't, I don't doubt it. I mean, with, with more and more families being at home and on devices and using for school and things like that. I mean, they're, they're going to be buying more of these services. And also, so back to your iPhone 12 thing. So iPhone 12 has done well. Mm -hmm. And a big attribution to that is uh, 5G. Which I didn't think it, 5G was all that prevalent which yet is, for people to use it's it. It's not. It's but it, it's 5G's been so hyped. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many of my neighbors they've been like. They first of all they went out and upgraded to to the iPhone 12 so they can get 5G, and then they're, then they're asking around like, "What's the best 
a carrier in our neighborhood for 5G. And all that. I'm like, guys, this is, you're, you're not going to notice anything. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> this is not going to change your life at all. And they're probably still going to throttle your 5G. My, my, whatever I have, is it LTE or whatever? I mean, it gets hundreds of megabits. That, that's enough to stream 10 movies at once. You don't need 5G. I mean, at least not at this point. And it's not just speed. I realize that there's other, there's other aspects of 5G, some of which are an advantage, some of which are a disadvantage over LTE. But there's, but again, this is, you know, because I've been skeptical of the, of the, I've been, I've been bewildered by the hype of 5G for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's obviously, it's just a ton of marketing, not, not just for the carriers, but I mean, think of the providers like Apple that are, that are right in there with it. Of course they want to high 5G. If you're coming out with a, your, if your next phone is going to have 5G, then you're probably going to f- help fund the marketing campaigns of, of all the phone carriers for the 5G so that people get in their head, oh, 5G, we've got to get 5G, it's going to be amazing. Oh, my current phone doesn't support 5G? Well, does, does the next iPhone, do, oh, yeah, I'm going to get the next iPhone. Yeah. It's too bad they couldn't do with the iPhone 4G. And it's, just, it's a giant disinformation campaign. Yeah. Kind of like branding the iPhone 4G. And I'm sticking with my flip phone. It just works fine. Flip <laughs> phones suck. Uh, they, they're back. I know that's what I'm saying. They're they're trying to bring them back. I actually, but... meant the old ones. I didn't was <laughs> my Motorola StarTech just works like a dandy. <laughs> there are some people that are still using those things. Yeah, I know. I see it sometimes. They can drop them and everything and nothing. We can't drop ours. I can't even breathe on mine without it getting some weird stuff on it. Uh, there was nothing in our Slack. I won't, I won't mention any names, but did you see this about um, GAX in Process Builder? People go into Process Builder and just the, the Process Builder itself, I guess the designer or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. um, just crashes. And it had to do with, it has to do something to do with, um, what was it? Do you remember? IS, uh, this is an ISV situation. No, I didn't see that. And I was trying to launch something. I don't know what it's doing. Here we go. It happens when you open an existing process with an invocable action that we package configured in it. It also gags when they search for the Apex action in the process builder. Hmm. That's not good. Yeah, this, this is the kind of stuff that... This, this is when... That's what I was thinking. Like, when you combine the, like, all the different tentacles and ancillary areas of Salesforce into, like, one cross-sectional thing, like, oh, we, we're doing... We're doing communities with uh, person accounts with vocable actions or whatever and it's like you you are crossing some serious streams there and you're <laughs> you're finding that that is the definition of edge case and yeah. they're just <laughs> i don't envy i don't envy people that have to do that i i do i do catch wind of some of those edge edge cases where they're doing some something really specific and really uh, kind of crazy and kind of uh, almost I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm proud. What's the word I'm trying to say? But I'm kind of, you know, it's like, wow, you made that happen, but at what cost type situation? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I thought, I thought you would find that interesting just because you do all that stuff and, and you worked for an ISV. But. It's, I'm not surprised by anything when it comes to ISVs and issues. I mean, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a hard thing to do with Salesforce. As you, you think you have everything done the right way, and then you get some some new guy reviewing your freaking app. Who now you have to explain everything that how it works and everything to them again, and they don't get it. And you're you're trying to t- 
talk about how you got creative and to solve this issue and they still don't get it and they yeah. think it's an issue and it's and then once you deploy it and install it now you've got the issue of oh some random issues coming up and i don't know what's going on now i got to find a way to replicate the environment and hope i get that i mean talk about a time suck i mean i i was when i first started with that other company because it's they had impossible. so many issues with their application i spent weeks doing nothing but trying to set up environments and f try to reproduce errors that's insane there's just no good way to do it yeah and that's i mean that is easily like tens of thousands of dollars of a of, that a company's yeah. having to spend on tracking this little thing down for some customer that probably nets you you know three hundred dollars a month yeah i mean a lot i mean I, some of it i don't blame salesforce for because it's just the nature of that ah, software you know? software yeah right and 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 also the the aspect of security and things like that but it's just because I can't run my own environment and I can't spend them, I mean, well, Scratchworks helped. You know, moving to Scratchworks helped a little bit, but there's really no easy way to replicate someone's environment. So you don't, you're still stuck with trying to manually set it up and try to get it to the right state. This is when you contrast this type of thing to the to the to the typical messaging. Oh, you can you can build an app in 24 hours or three. We built a, we built a app in four days and it changed. You know, we made all this money and yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And that's why you get customers come on and say, hey, I've got an idea for an app. You want to charge me how much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we went to Dreamforce. That's not what they told us there. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, uh, let's see, what else? Um, IBM has cut its blockchain team down to almost nothing. I saw that. You saw that? <laughs> well, I saw that because uh, Jay posted as, as something for us to talk about. Oh, I didn't see. pointed okay. us to the Hacker News article on it. Ah, okay. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, I kind of agree with some of the comments. I mean, it's it's par for the course for IBM. I, I agree that they latched onto it as a buzzword. Uh, I, I also agree that I could not find a good use case for it. I mean, I struggled with finding use cases for it. And it just seemed like, I think someone had used the words, um, it was a technology looking for a home or something like that, looking for a, for a solution. And and everyone tried their best to try to find a solution for it. And it because this is, this is something where people, the people that were trying to make money off this, did all the right things to create all the wrong hype. I mean, they, there's a lot of um, dummies in the in the in the investing space that that have for years have bought into, and I mean, blockchain is a it's a I think it's a great technology for what sure. it is. Yeah, but the just the over application right of it and the overvaluation of companies that were going to do it. What was the what was it the Arizona tea company? Which was the which tea company was it that they they put. What's it, they they announced something about blockchain or put blockchain in the name or something like that and their something stock like, like quadrupled yeah. or like four forty thousand percent up. Yeah, just dumb. And then other companies started like putting just almost as a joke, starting putting blockchain in their name. <laughs> <laughs> now, top the top comment says, uh, I'll paraphrase the the use case for blockchain can usually be solved with classical, cheaper, and simpler solutions by having a central trusted authority for storage and appending using digital signatures. Mm -hmm. Which yes, I mean because those are basically un un packable uncrackable i guess Block blockchain is a solution looking for a problem in most cases yeah that was the comment i was talking yeah. about yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah i'm glad i didn't i don't know spend a bunch of time uh becoming a blockchain expert i mean i, I still think it's really interesting remember um blockchain or uh, salesforce had big blockchain oh they gonna what was their thing called some kind of they had some product for it. It was no, going to be Sal Salesforce blockchain. I think it was. It was. It was a blockchain. few years ago at Dreamforce. It was the big deal. Is it around? <laughs> no. Is what it still think? in pilot? It's it's there with VMforce and and, and database.com. Salesforce blockchain is a low code. Oh, 
They attach low code to it. Oh. How can you attach low code to blockchain? Again, it's the intersection. Salesforce is nailing this, like uh, combining all these things. I got to read this. Salesforce blockchain is a low code blockchain platform that extends go. the power of CRM. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the question is, is this a real thing that still exists? I don't or, know. or are you reading like an old, you know, this was article? from 5 2019. It was a press release. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if I just search for Salesforce blockchain, can, do I get to their product page? Um, I do. I do. Let's okay. see. And what does it say? Uh, well, it took me to, oh, they have a, yeah, they do have a page for it. Create trust networks to securely extend CRM to partners. Mm. Easily build blockchain apps and networks with the industry's first declarative blockchain platform native package, or blockchain platform natively integrated into CRM. There's a demo for it. There's a page for it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a trail for it. This is 500 points. There you go. There you I go. need I need some points. So I, so Jay can hire me. Can. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been following his firing or his hiring saga? <laughs> uh, actually, that's one of the topics I want to talk about. Uh, oh. All right. Uh, okay. What else? Oh, this is interesting. But again, this is total groundhog day, groundhog day thing. Scratch pad, scratch pad. Sorry. Snags 13 million Series A to simplify Salesforce data entry. How many, how many startups, John, in the past 10 years have snagged funding to build better data entry UIs into Salesforce? How many times have we heard this story? I'm sure quite a bit. <laughs> Scratchpad sounds familiar, though. What do they do? That's, They're not like a spreadsheet thing, are they? It's, it's an early, age start, or early stage startup that wants to make it easier for salespeople to get information into Salesforce by playing a notation layer on top of it. We've seen this pattern over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm sorry. You're asking salespersons, salespeople to put in too much data. They're not going to do it. Yeah. Although, you know, I mean, there's something to be said with creating a, a, a better UI than what's there with Lightning. There is, but salespeople are never going to do it. They never have. That's why top sellers always have an assistant. Because they're not oh, going to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I, you can't optimize for the extremes, though. The the top sellers, the worst sellers. You know, you can't opt optimize for the middle of the bell curve. Yeah, but I'm just saying. I mean, I've seen I've seen company requirements that just because management because Salesforce is a tool by management for management. Um, all they're thinking about is all the different reports they want to get, and that trickles down to end up. That trickles down to the salespeople who end up having to put a lot of extra information into the system hmm. in order to get those reports or make it easier to get the reports. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will say, to be fair, I'm going to defend Salesforce for a minute. Um, although the most important thing for them is, is I mean, they've, <laughs> they've got to make products that buyers and decision makers will buy. They probably do a better job than most enterprise software companies of catering to users. Again, that's may not be saying much, but I think it just has to be said. Sure. Okay. I, I think they've done a fair amount of investing into productivity. Absolutely. Yeah. I just wish lightning was faster. Since Inception's lightning has not been lightning yeah. fast. And it's gotten worse. Mm. It got better and then it got worse. I'm but, really not a fan of the caching. I just don't think it's buying them what they think it's buying them caching the metadata caching all that it may save them some some 
some some compute cycles on the server, but it's not translating into performance or happy customers. Isn't that one of the two hardest hard things in computer science? What isn't it? Wasn't naming things and cache invalidation? Oh yeah, I'd worked on them because because newsflash. Guess what? Most of us developers are doing. We're not. We're bypassing the cache as much as we can. But also, I feel like with caching, that, this is why I, I also I like kind of like asking people is like, hey, have you ever used platform cache? You know, Salesforce's platform cache. Um. <laughs> I like the idea of it. I just can't find a good use case well, for it that and, makes sense. And that's the thing. It's you have to have the right use case. I mean, you have to have the right volume, the right numbers, or just or it's you're going out of your way to use something that makes no sense. You're adding technical debt, complexity, and and again, you're increasing that inflation. Yeah. Future costs, your future costs by doing these things. I mean, about the only use case I can think of where it makes sense to my brain from experience is some kind of session management. That's one of the use cases. Although Salesforce would like you for your high volume use cases to to consider and and use platform cache wisely because it, it put, obviously takes a load off of their systems to be able to just pull stuff from cache. Right. So, I've, I've I've had a few use cases throughout time to use platform cache for something other than sessions. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's there for usage. I, I haven't had a reason to use it, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's. It's such a slippery slope, because once you go down that road, yeah, there's so many other things you have to think about and consider. Yeah, and again, in, to me, invalidations is the hard part. It's like, okay, now you've cached it, so we'll always go to cache for this thing? Well, no. Um, we might change the underlying thing, so we want you to get that when... It, oh, okay. Well, how often? Well, I don't know how often. Or, you know, it's just... You know. Yeah. <laughs> also, the fact that I don't know what it's buying, because Salesforce has to query your methods anyways to see if something changed. Like, the only thing it's buying is rendering time on the browser, from what I'm understanding. Because no, on, on no, no, certain no. cacheable methods... This stuff's not, cached not, on the server. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about... You're not talking about platform cache. I'm not talking, talking about platform cache, yeah. Sorry. Light, lightning cache? Lightning cache. Yeah. And so, it, it's in the documentation that, yeah, you can mark your method as cacheable. Salesforce still might call your method to see if anything's changed because it's got to have something to compare to. Yeah. In which case, it'll bypass having to re-render the whole screen, which I guess makes sense if you have a lot of components and a lot of different vendor components and from that perspective. But it's, I don't know that it's buying them what it should because all I'm getting is a really horrible experience. And even for things that should just be entirely native. What do you, mean, what do you have, mean by horrible experience? Well, the fact that randomly your your spinner will sit there and spin because for some reason it just can't get past loading and you think that's related to cache yes because i i do a uh i open up my dev console and do that hard clear cache remove not yeah. not the middle tier one the the nuke yep. one mm -hmm. and things will start working again hmm. yeah i mean who knows what it is that's happening when you when you when you do that the hard the hard clear of everything but could be. Could be the yeah, lightning know. caching. That's the perception. At least for well, my part. Have we and I do try to temper my perception because I'm a partner that has to build, interact things, and I, I'm doing more things than the norm, I guess. Like a standard user probably does benefit from caching because they're not seeing a lot of changes in the data or anything like that. It's just that we're building, we're implementing, we're expecting to see a lot of change. And I, that's what debug mode is for, but even that doesn't seem to work well. But overall, just the performance of everything seems to be really slow. And tack on a bunch of automation being added in, and it just gets even slower. Yeah. What, what about this the issue just with standard UI in Salesforce when you know, you're on a record and someone makes a change to it and you, you try to refresh it and you, you just you cannot get the change to show up without you know, 
burning your computer, buying a new one, and then re-logging into Salesforce, <laughs> and then it, then it shows you the new one. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Is that still a thing? Uh, I feel I'm like not that's sure gotten how, better. It's gotten better. Yeah. It, it, okay. I did get actually, because we were, I was working with, with someone, and we both modified the same record, and we we got the uh, the notification that said, hey, this was already modified. So that was nice. I mean, so things like that do exist. I mean, I think one, pro- one problem, one way that Salesforce could solve that problem would be to Anytime you're on a record, like your browser subscribes to events related to that record. Of course, that takes re- that takes server side resources, resources too. too. So yeah. I, I don't know which one's worse. Yeah. Although nowadays, with the newer threading models, or really not even using threads for these things, um, th- they scale massively. So I don't know. That is uh, for other engineers besides me to solve. <laughs> <laughs> I got my own problems. Uh, what about the Salesforce multi-factor announcement that, it, that they're going to be they're going to up the requirements on multi-factor? And is that that's is that like a year away? Or do we need to worry about that now? Did you look into that? I didn't look into it. I mean, they've been pushing it in the last few releases that it's well, available. And well, everyone and, got the emails. That's and so people are else. No, I know that. Okay. But in the in the it's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. And with each release note, they 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 highlight it even more. And I think in this, the last release where admins started getting little pop-ups saying, hey, why don't you enable two-factor or multi-factor, sorry. Yeah, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get to the bottom here. You must enable MFA for users who log into your Salesforce products, including partner products, through the user interface. Alternatively, you can satisfy the MFA requirement by using single sign-on, but we also strongly recommend enabling MFA for your SSO identity provider. Okay, so that's like, We'll, outs- we'll just punt MFA to the identity provider, which right. makes total sense in that case. Um, this requirement begins on February 1, 2022. So it's a year from now. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead and do that now. I mean, everyone should be doing MFA, right? Uh, uh, that'll make certain things difficult. I sure. recommend YubiKeys. Do you have a YubiKey? N- no, I have... Um, what do I have? You have a hardware key? Could you use the no, authenticator? Software. Oh, the, um, do you use the Salesforce one or Authy or Authy? Authy. That's what yeah. I have. Yeah, couldn't think of the name. But yeah, I use Authy for everything. Ever since my Gmail got compromised, I've, I've been using that. Oh, that's a nightmare. Yeah. Well, John, I have some some HR updates we should need to go through. You gotta, uh, have, an, you gotta have an HR meeting every once in a while, right? Sure. Okay. Uh, so the velocity. Sorry. Velocity. Yeah, I really got to fire that out of your mouth real fast because oh, it's, it's yeah. you don't want to add an extra syllable. Can't. Velocity CEO David Schmeier um, has is now the president and chief product officer at Salesforce. The CPO. I like to call that the C three PO. That's pretty good. <laughs> I like that. Um, and then also, you know, did you see the? Did you see uh, Wade Wagner's new gig? Uh, I saw it. I can't recall the from memory. It was uh, twi- Twilio. VP, head of developer and UX success at Twilio. Yeah. Now, is he head of developer and UX success? Or is he head of developer and UX success? I, I, we, I need some punctuation in the title, Wade. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that sounds like a cool gig. I mean, um, developers do love them some Twilio. Uh, so I think you know, the thing is, this is not, there's not a lot of, there's, I don't think there's as much low-hanging fruit at Twilio as there is at Salesforce, but there's also probably not near as much just bureaucratic and technological um, baggage and debt at Twilio than, you know, than there would be at a company like Salesforce. 
No, maybe. I always just see it as, as you know, you kind of have to move somewhere to kind of advance your career. That could be. Yeah. He was at Salesforce five years. But. I mean, the the days of hanging out at a company for 50 years and, and getting your golden watch, you know, that those days are gone. It's just, it just never works out. I mean, if you want to advance and you want to make more, you tend to have to move around. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's been other um, shakeups at Salesforce and kind of higher ranks recently, mm-hmm. and he just might not have been happy with those. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Uh, let's see. Next thing, final thing, is uh, Mark Hawkins, CFO, is retiring. Oh, really? Yeah. Seems like Salesforce gets, you know, they get four to six years out of a CFO. You get burned out. You gotta go. I, thought, I think, you know, it sounds like he's retiring. Collect your checks. Yeah. Get your, get your stock. and Yeah. He's got a, I read the little press release, but it said he's, he's got a, a, new, a second grandkid on the way, so he was retiring. That's cool. Yep. So, congratulations, Mark. You probably need some time off. I think that's what it's going to end up being. Shuffling all those buckets around. It's just, just <laughs> a lot of work. I'm worried about my retirement age because I don't know that I can, <sighs> I'm I can never do retiring. nothing. I'm never retiring. I don't know that I could do nothing. And on that um, sad note of me never retiring, I'm going to crack another beer. <laughs> is it sad because you don't want to or you're, oh, is no. it sad because you think you'll never be financially able to? I'll never be able to. And I, I poured <laughs> this one the worst, unfortunately. I think. Sorry about that. Here, I'll hint you the glass. It's fine. It's fine. This is the beer exchange. I don't care about dead silence. You care more about it than I do. I'll just keep rambling. We could talk about uh, Jay's topic. Actually, it's not really his topic. I I I asked him if I could use this list because okay. uh, this list was a list that his client came up with, and I kind of wanted to go through these and get your response on some of these because this um, he said that uh, his client came up with these requirements, and these are the uh, job requirements or skills that he feels, not that Jay feels, that the client feels, uh, a senior Salesforce developer should have. Okay. Oh, this is interesting. I want to make a list of these, actually. Hang on. I'm going to open a new Evernote. These oh, are. I have a list. Well, I have his I'm list. I'm going to make my own list. You're going to make your own list? Yeah, because I might add some things to it. Oh, cool. So what All is right. this? This is job requirements for a developer? Job requirements for a senior Salesforce developer. <laughs> How's that different than a senior developer? I don't know. You don't have to know anything about algorithms or You have to know Salesforce technology. Or, That's the difference. Salesforce technology. Yeah. That's why you get paid the big bucks because you know Salesforce technology. Or is it a senior Salesforce developer? Don't be racist. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I love throwing that out there every so often. Mm-hmm. It's what fun. What are you talking about? It's fun. <laughs> All right, so the first one is a minimum of three years of progressive responsibility in Salesforce automation on the SFDC platform, including advanced oh workflows and complex configurations, i.e. non-coding tasks. Okay. You agree? I mean, I guess. It's just, it's, that's such a vague thing, but okay, yeah. sure. Uh, how experience- do you measure that? Or how do you, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And it's also one of those things that everyone's going to say, oh, sure, I've got that. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yes. Check. Check. Uh, experience in designing and developing processes in a highly agile environment. Of course, check. Yeah. Uh, Sprints. This is this. Is, uh, I'm highlighting Jay's problem uh, here. Cards. Um, what what yeah, else yeah. can I say? I I don't know. Whatever. I'm thinking back to the uh, the it crowd when she did her interview, and he was like, "Because you said you had experience with computers," and she goes, "Mouse, keyboard, <laughs> uh, clicking, yeah. double clicking." <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's what it sounds like to me <laughs> dot matrix yeah 
the the <laughs> thing that goes on the floor, the hard drive. <laughs> yeah. no, that's the CPU. The whole the whole computer is the CPU. Yeah, but like he that. called it the hard drive. Oh, really? Okay, because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know either. Um, extensive working knowledge of Visual Force Apex and Informatica Cloud or other ETL tools. I'm surprised that's in one that is requirement. It's <laughs> like, weird, like. Oh, Visual Force, Apex, and Informatica they should, Cloud. I'm they like, should put oh. that on one of those kids' thing, and then says, you know, which one? You circle the thing that doesn't belong here. Because one of those <laughs> things doesn't, one or more of those things don't belong in that same group. Oh, yeah. I love those. Yeah. Yeah. I always felt so accomplished, because I, I got them right every time. It's, it's, it's honing, honing your skills as a pattern matcher. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's what humans are good at, pattern matching. Uh, experience in classic to lightning migration and building LWCs. Okay. That's a good skill. That's a good skill. Uh, detailed knowledge of Salesforce.com data modeling. That's a good okay. skill, too. Yep. Uh, experience using Salesforce.com data tools. I would say experience using other than data loader. Uh, well, okay. I was going to ask you, what, what does data, Salesforce data tools mean? I mean, that includes data loader. Data, that's it? Yeah. Just data loader. Well, it was, it, in parentheses, it was data loader. Okay. Salesforce doesn't really have any other, uh, free data tools other than the the basic importer for like contacts and accounts and stuff yeah although they didn't say free so no but that's covered by the informatica cloud or etl tools okay line gotcha uh you'll love this one demand tools experience and knowledge of plus demand tools i haven't yeah. i don't i don't run across those guys much anymore they, what was their big thing? They had a, a big, was it a deduplicator? Deduplicator, yeah. And yeah. then they also had some like profile tools, which were pretty good because they oh, would yeah. they would kind of analyze across your profiles what you had and what you didn't have. Oh, and I think they would help with migration and and syncing them up too. Someone can solve the getting profiles from one org to another. That that would be great. I need someone to solve my meta my uh, custom metadata type deployment. I can't get those things to deploy if they if I'm added new fields. I have to go in and manually create them. Hmm. Or do it in a chain set. I don't know what's going on with that. I still need to figure that out. Uh, ability to provide scalable and maintainable platform, parentheses, Salesforce solutions. I don't know what that means. That's really vague. Ability to work and manage the integrations to different business systems using SOAP, REST, and bulk APIs. Okay. Ability to utilize best practices for Salesforce development using declarative and Apex development, classic or lightning. Surprising you have one to say on that one. What was that? I don't know. I deleted a file. <laughs> Ability to support business process in case, in case of and production issues in configuration and troubleshooting. What, say that again? Ability to support business process in, I'm reading it, business process in case of and production issues in configurations and troubleshooting. A little, no. little grabber needs to be too much, there. too much beer for that one or what? But No, that's the good. way it reads. I, I was wondering the same thing, but uh, that's the way it reads. Expert level experience with browser-based technology, user interface development, responsive web design, and engineering cross-browser, cross-device, compliant code. <sighs> Sorry, I couldn't breathe. Um, and if that didn't cover it, this one will. Expert level experience with HTML5 and web template engines, markdown, handlebars, JSX, and Jade. What do you have to do to be an expert on handlebars? Uh, wear a mustache. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, I like handlebars. And but I, as much as I like it, I always run into a limitation that I'm like, oh, 
crap. I'm stuck. So in, any of us that have had to do any hiring, I mean, this, just reading over this list, I think it gives you like a little bit of, um, what, what did we used to call before was PTSD, when people had like flashbacks or whatever, the bad things. I feel like that's what this gives you. Yeah. Because there's, I mean, you know, you have to do this kind of thing. You have to make these lists, but also knowing that there's just so much that is hard to put in a list and also things you can manage to get out in a list. It's like, okay, how do you test for those? Yeah. And there's, I mean, most things on the list, I'm like, how do you, what, how do you, how do you know whether someone's level is like intermediate or expert? I mean, this is, this is hard. Yeah. I'm going to keep going because there's a lot more. These Expert are real level. developers. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Uh, if, if you don't, if you don't know like 10 different programming languages and, and how to design and stuff. You're not a real programmer. No, you're not. Uh, expert expert level experience with CSS3 and CSS preprocessors like SAS, LESS, etc. Man. Expert. Uh, uh, expert at CSS3. That that encompasses a lot of stuff. And this, wait a minute. Is this... Okay. Let me, let me just stop right now and say... This is, this is too much. It is. Yeah, I mean, my just, comment, just my com finding someone who's if you I mean, if you literally want expert level CSS three, I mean that's a job in and of itself. They're not going to know anything about data tools or or deduplication or migrations or any of that other stuff you're talking about. I mean, yeah, you're you, you need to focus. Yeah, and it goes on like that. I'll I'll start paraphrasing these because par paraphrasing that's the beer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, JavaScript experience with Vue, Angular, Ember. I mean, uh, Git Git and Bitbucket. Um, utilities like Webpack, Grunt, Gulp, uh, Node.js, Express, Happy, Happy, H-A-P-I, Happy, uh, AWS Cloud Services, S3, Lambda, Elastic Cache, uh, frameworks like Mocha, Jasmine, Jest, uh, REST API Asynchronous, GraphQL, MongoDB, NoSQL data sources, 508 compliance and web accessibility, enterprise exposure, uh, communication, oral, written, and presentation, uh, Ability to learn quickly. I think if you fit all these bills, you can learn quickly <laughs> yeah. in a fast-paced environment. Uh, Self-starter, obviously, you'd have to be because of your requirements. Uh, Resource-oriented individual who can uh, make a difference. A person who takes initiative, makes things happen, accepts accountability, and has a can-do attitude, meaning you'll work a lot of overtime. I, w I think most candidates I've seen would, would fit all these requirements, John. Every single one yeah. of them. No, I mean... Yeah, the hiring is hard. I mean, this is that list is. I don't know if that list is meant for a single role. So that that's a little ambitious, as we or as we just mentioned. But well, it's ambitious, but it also kind of outlines the difficulty in the Salesforce ecosystem in general because it's it's it is a web application, but it's filled with proprietary te technologies. Yeah, and you kind of have to have your thumb on a lot of these different skill sets to to kind of be effective. In a senior role, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm surprised that he didn't. Um, I feel like from missing from that list was um, uh, CPA license, oh. um, Sarbanes Oxley expert, yeah. and a certified mechanic. I think. Well, I noticed some omissions on here. <laughs> okay, um, I didn't see any reference to trailhead or certifications. Yeah. I mean, maybe they don't care about that. I mean, who cares about those partners? Partners, partners. Care about them. yeah. 
I mean, it's not a bad list. I mean, we we took it tongue in cheek and we talked about it, and it is kind of a wish list of of everything you would want for somebody. And I think if I saw this list, I'd be like, you know what? I have about eighty percent of that. I'll I'll apply right. and, and see what they what they say. Well, and maybe you want maybe this is like okay, when you are hiring for a specific role, you you pick which one of the, of these you think are applicable for that role, and you you put them in on that particular job request. Yeah. But all of those on one, that was you know a little much. It is a little much. I mean, it it could serve a couple of reasons, it could, purposes. One, it, is, it could be so intimidating that someone would, who's not confident in their skills, would just not apply. But the problem is that that's the problem is is the people who, I think people tend to who tend to be more expert, they they actually understand more, they have a better grasp of where their skills lie, mm-hmm. and they're they're going to select themselves out of your right process. Yeah, and you're going to get all the. The phonies who they don't they don't even have a clue. They think they're qualified for all of those. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely could work against you. Um, cause I I will say from from my own experience, I mean, there are things that I'm just like I that's not my thing. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to I don't want to do it. Yep. <laughs> I think I told you that, didn't I? <laughs> when you hired me, maybe so. Um, you can handle the integrations. I'm not touching those anymore. Yeah, I'm done with those. Well, because, I mean, the reality is you, you can only be good at a small number of things, really. Yeah. There's just not enough time in the day. Well, yeah, and... <laughs> What's that? I, I just John, went limp on you. <laughs> I need those pliers. <laughs> Needle nose? <laughs> Probably, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry, that was the beer. Um, so, no, I mean, that that was... Uh, that's, that's actually, this top, this, uh, list came out of a long thread, um, that Jay posted on just some of the challenges he had with trying to hire people and interview people and things like that. So that's available in our Slack. So if you, if you're interested in hearing more about that story, just kind of seeing that experience, you know, you know where to go. But now you have to tell them, John. We have, I was going to say, where is that, Jeremy? Well, you go to gooddaysirpodcast.com and you click on the community link and just put in your email address and, uh, John will add you. Yeah. Whenever he gets around to it. Hey, I try to make it as quick as I can. That's true. No, Sometimes I'm sleeping. I feel like you're on the ball on those. I try. I try. Yep. All right. Well, John, this is a, a pr- pretty pretty fun conversation for something pretty unplanned. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you to listeners for putting up with us for another, I don't know, hour or two, whatever this was. Um, in addition to the Slack, you can email us, info at gooddaysirpodcast.com, and you can uh, send us feedback questions for the show topics for the show and also request stickers if you would like you know what are they called laptop stickers whatever you put them over they're about three inches in diameter and uh, we have lots of them so uh, we can ship them anywhere in the world we have domestic stamps we have international stamps yeah so just to include your email address or sorry yeah your no no sorry your physical address your mailing address yeah you can't mail it to an email info at gooddaysirpodcast.com is the email address to send those to oh and a quick shout out to cactus force i got my shirt oh nice um it's pretty cool. I like it. Feels good. Yeah, looks good. I like. I got the, a bunch of stickers too. I like the black on the dark heather, whatever that is. I do. I, I was kind of thinking in my head, if we do shirts, I might want to do that because it's kind of cool. It's like cool. It. Yep, me too. Uh, they also have sessions posted online now, so if you missed the conference, Cactus Force, I'll put it in the show notes. And go check out the sessions. Cool. That's all I got. Me too, John. Thanks for the beer. And yep. to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.